Do we have any uh, NBA fans in the house? Yeah? And uh, how, how much do you know about the NBA? No, nothing much? Um, uh, my f- a fellow minister and good colleague of mine is a big fan. Um, and every year he invites me to watch March Madness with him. Uh, it was a bit of a tradition. We would go and we would find a sports club and we would go and watch the basketball. And he would explain it to me. And I played basketball as a youth, so I understood the rules. But, you know, the way how they organized it all was just a, a bit baffling for me. But I loved it. I enjoyed being with my mate and I enjoyed watching this. And I remember saying to, to my wife, you know, I came, came one day and I watched Steph Curry. You know, it was an amazing game. And she says to me, oh, that's very progressive of you gentlemen, watching women's basketball. No, <laughs> Steph Curry is a male basketball. I don't know why we call him Steph. I, it's Stephen Curry, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the way I heard it. Um, but um, I was really fascinated this week to learn about another big name in basketball, uh, one that perhaps you might have heard in the past. Um, it's Rick Barry. Have you heard of Rick Barry? No? No. Did you know he held the highest free throw percentage for the longest time, 90%, 90%. He's only been beaten by a couple of players, Steph Curry being one of them, at 91%. He had 90%. It's amazing. And he was playing in a time when they didn't have fancy dunks and all of that kind of stuff. What was really fascinating is he didn't do this one. Have you seen this one? Yeah? The, the regular? No. He did this one. He did the primary school bucket shot every single time and he got a 90%. In 1994, during a Michael Jordan game. Do you know Michael Jordan? He's this guy. Yeah, all right. Okay, you know that one. (laughs) In all the flash and show of that game, they invited him as a halftime spectacle to come. And there comes Rick Barry in his shirt and tie. Brother looked like he was on his way to service. And he rocks up to the free throw line. And he covers his eyes. And he shows everyone that his eyes are closed. And he stands there. And he buckets and gets it in. In front of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all of the amazing Chicago Bulls players of the 1990s. He knew what he was doing. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how nice you dunk or how well you pass or your dribbling skills or whether or not you can whistle Sweet Georgia Brown. Do you know the one? Sorry, I'm kind of dry. (laughs) It's the Harlem Globetrotters one. No, it doesn't matter. If you don't get the baskets, if you don't get the points, it doesn't matter if you don't get it in there. See, that's what wins the basketball game. Oh, thank you, darling. Just got some water. Shall we try again? Ready? There we go. (laughs) Thank you, sweetheart. Needed to warm up a little bit. Maybe later. (laughs) The house of the Lord is meant to be a house for worship. But I think a lot of the times we're too busy with showcasing, with showing 
and we're not concerned with getting the points. We're not concerned with getting what needs to be done because we're worried about how we look or how we sound. Like I said, the last time Rick Barry rocked up there, he didn't look like he was ready to play basketball, did he? Now he could have. He could have worn his old uniform, a bit of a nod to his old team. He could have done that. But he didn't. He went up in a shirt and tie. Friends, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we look like, what we sound like. If our worship scores that point. And that's what I'm here to tell you about this morning. Because it was a sinner who had it on his heart to build a house for the Lord, wasn't it? And this morning we heard his prayer. A prayer that said, God, I want a house that will honor you. Because even if I don't, this house will. It will praise you. It will glorify your name. And this is what the house of the Lord is meant to be. And I want to encourage you in this. I'm not chastising. I'm not correcting. I want to encourage you in this. Because the first house of the Lord is us. And we need to be prepared to do that before these, I was going to say brick and mortar, (laughs) wood paneling, (laughs) will do it with us. Are you with me, church? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the opportunity and the freedom we have to worship you. And we ask you, Lord God, that we will score those points in your name, regardless of our form or of our technique, that our heart will be in that right place and that we will know to do that to glorify you. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So verses 14 and 16 of our reading today. But who am I and who are your people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your temple in your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I have heard this passage being preached so often in terms of stewardship, in terms of tithing. And I don't wholly disagree with this. But I'm a big believer in reading the word in its context. Amen? And the context here is what? Worship. It is that a house of worship was to be built. It was not to compel the people of God to respond and give. It was to compel the people of God to sacrifice. Because worship is a form of sacrifice. I see some of you have glasses today. I do too. Perhaps if you have them, you can point out where, where is the altar of sacrifice here up the front? I don't see it. Where is the laver where we wash our hands for ritual purification? It is not here, is it? What about the incense? Some churches do have them. We don't. Are we wrong? No, friends. Because like Paul said, we desire that our prayers be the sweet incense that rises like an aroma all the way to heaven unimpeded by this ceiling. So at the end of the day, the worship that needs to be brought forward, the sacrifice, the altar, it's right here. It is your heart, my dear friends. 
And this is the truest worship that we could bring. This is what David brought. And what is really, really important for us to note is that he handed over his crown before saying this prayer. You see, he didn't say this prayer as the king of Israel. He didn't say it as a priest. He said it as a regular bloke, a shepherd, who decided to come down from his position of privilege and stand among the people and be the first sinner to declare that he was unworthy. Who am I? Worship begins from that place, my friends. From the place of saying, Lord, we are unworthy to come before your holy throne. But yet you have made us worthy. Yet you have beckoned us. Yet you have called us. Yet you have loved us. Last week, I taught you about how the temple, the tabernacle was meant to mirror the garden. Because you know what? That's what God wants from each and every one of his children. See, he made the garden so that he could encounter with Adam and Eve, so that he could be there with humanity. God made this because he loves you. And worship is our way of saying, yes, yes, God, we love you. And we want to meet with you. In Spanish, we have this beautiful lullaby that I taught my kids. Dios está aquí. It talks about how God is with us. As surely as the air I breathe. As surely as the sun rains in the sky during the day. And the moon in the night. God is here with us. And when I sleep. And some of you may find this a bit confrontational. But the lullaby says, when I sleep. Daddy God watches over me. When I sleep. Daddy, God, watches over me. Every time someone's sleeping in one of my sermons, I think of that. (laughs) Daddy, God, is there. Friends, that is the kind of relationship God desires of us. To meet us where we are most vulnerable. In our crib. In our heart. In our pain. In our longing, in our suffering, in our vulnerability. That's what I hear in the former King David. Lord your God, all this abundance that you have provided for a building. You, for building you a temple for your holy name. It comes from your hand and it all belongs to you. This is where we get the saying, you cannot outgive God. You cannot But that's not just about the tithe. That's not just about the money. That's not just about the time. That is also about the love. The love. Because the hand that sculpted continents, that carved the pathways for the waters and the fingers and the canyons, that hand beckons you today. And when you respond, that is worship.
So I want to share with you some of David's Psalms. That helps us understand that. And I love this one, Psalm 100. And I've given you the whole Psalm here, so you don't need to look up the verses. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I would love if I had the time to unpack each and every part of this verse, of this psalm, the stanzas, the ways in which David is combining these different ideas for us to understand. But I won't. I'm going to touch on two things very briefly. The first is he invites all of the earth to worship. My elder back in Brazil, Elias was his name. Elias. I named my son after him. He used to tell us that he could see the birds worshipping God. Because when they went down for water, they would always crane their necks upwards in a gesture that for him looked only like veneration and worship. Think about it. If you're a bird, you don't have a tap. You don't have fingers with which to turn a tap. So a drink of water (laughs) becomes a precious thing. And so for Elias, he taught me this as a child. I remember he was my elder from the age of of, uh, five until I was about eight years old. And, And that stayed with me my whole life. This idea, this picture of a bird in a bird bath going, this life giving, replenishing water can only come from one place. And that is God. Wow. How we take these things for granted. But I don't think the grass worships in that way. The trees, the animals of the field. Yet David here is telling us he's inviting them to worship. He's inviting all of the earth to worship with gladness and song. I've never heard grass sing. But I imagine the song that it does sing to the Lord would be very beautiful to his ears. The second thing I wanted to share with you from this particular passage is that he invites us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This is a direct allusion to the temple, to the tabernacle. Because there were gates there. And On the morning of worship, the people of God would gather outside. Now, I think I've shared with you before in the temple of Herod in the time of Jesus, that staircase was about 30 feet high. So it would have been close to the ceiling here. And it was extremely steep. And hundreds of people gathered. And as they sang, they took one step with each stanza. So Psalm 119 verse 1, first step. Verse 2, second step. Verse 3, and slowly the people of God came up. And as they came up to the top, they sang. And their chorus caused the doors to open. 
I want you to hear what this means. I want you to comprehend this. Because worship opens the heart of God. It moves His heart. Because He desires to connect with His children, with you and with me. So when He says, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise, He is alluding to that moment. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? Looking into the house of the Lord and seeing that gate come open. The priests of the temple had many jobs. Nowhere, I repeat, nowhere is it listed that there was a priest to open the door. Read into that what you will. We know that it was the hand of God that closed the door on Noah's ark. I choose to believe it was the hand of God moved by worship that opened the door to the temple. Why? Because God desires to connect with His children, my friends. I've underlined this, this part of the verse. Know that the Lord is God. What does that mean? This is it in the original language. Yedu ki Adonai hu Elohim. That Yedu is no in the plural. So the word you doesn't exist there. Because sometimes, friends, when we come to God's presence, we've got to put ourselves aside, don't we? So there is no direct article here. And I think that's intention. Know that the Lord is God. I've shared with you before that in the Star Wars universe, those people were looking at different religions and the way how things worked. And there were some Jewish people who were um, consulting on it. And at one point, the directors were looking for a name for a great master, for someone who would be able to, to lead the next generation. They were seeking this word. And the rabbi said, Yoda. Yoda is no. But it's not just no, have a passing knowledge or an understanding. Yoda is that moment when you're in the car and someone is coming before you and there's an impending traffic and you just know that it's going to happen and you hit the brakes. That's Yoda. Yoda is when a great carpenter knows just how thick to cut that wood so that it will sustain its integrity. Yoda is that moment when we know that God is with us and that God is involved in what we are doing, in who we are. It is intrinsic, not taught. That's why the rabbis chose that word because they wanted this notion, this idea that a master, someone who lives and indwells with this spirituality had to be able to say, you know what? It is part of who I am in everything I am. Is that challenging? It was for me. It was a revelation for me because it made me realize that worship has to come from everything that I am. From the goodness, from the talents, from the skills, from the expertise, from the studies. From the pain, from the tribulation, from the struggle, from the suffering, from the sin. These have to be the motivators. 
so that I can score those points. And that's why I'm not ashamed to take a bucket instead of a free throw shot. Because that worship has to come from that right place so that I will score that point for Jesus Christ. No. Psalm 100 verse 3. In verses 17 and 18 of our reading this morning, David uses that word, I yada, I know my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given you willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you, Lord. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Abel, Israel. Keep these desires and thoughts from the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. I know my God. Can you see David's bucket throw from there? He stepped down as king. His sin had precluded him from being able to be that kind of a leader and his humility and his love of God accredited him to lead in a very different way. If only for this moment. How beautiful an example is that. For when we lead in worship, we lead wholeheartedly. The two verses of the first two steps of the temple. Blessed are the blameless in the way who walk in Torah, in the law of God. Second step, blessed are they who keep his testimonies and who seek him with their whole heart. Can you imagine what those words would have meant to those people? Pilgrims who had come from far away knowing that this was the only place they could encounter with God. But we don't have that limitation, do we? For the cross has broken down the walls of the temple. And the Holy of Holies is now made available to each and every one of us. In our hearts. This has become the space to encounter with God. Remember last week what he said to Bezalel. To the craftsman who made the the furniture of the temple, he said, make an atonement cover for there I will encounter with you. Christ is now our atonement cover over our heart. And there God desires to encounter with us. Let's go to the New Testament. I love preaching from the old. I love telling you all about the culture and the history. And But as a wise man once taught me, if you talk about the Old Testament without talking about Jesus, it's a story incomplete. So in Acts, Paul goes forward to preach the risen Christ. And he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For I've walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship. And I found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Now the translation here says so. I don't like that translation because the word there is haughty. See, you are ignorant. <laughs> Do you understand? The Athenians decided to stone Paul. Do you see why they would have done that? He goes, see, you are ignorant of this very thing you worship. And so I'm going to proclaim to you of the risen 
Christ. There's a lot of people in this world who worship many things and are ignorant of what they worship. They may not call it worship. They may call it all manner of different things. They may call it self-care. They may call it men, men, uh, mentalism. Uh, mindfulness, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> they may call it mindfulness. Sometimes it is other religions. Sometimes it is other philosophies. Friends, I want to encourage you. Let us not be ignorant of that which we worship. We worship a loving, living God who gave His Son, Jesus Christ, as an atonement offering for our sins. Lynn, can I invite you to play for us? I love this passage from the book of John. I've shared with you before that I had the privilege of working at the Mata Hospitals. I did their IT. And... Um, very soon after I began working there, I was, I was already pastoring in the Spanish-speaking church and somebody found out. Uh, I don't know how. Um, maybe through Facebook or whatever. But they would say, the pastor is coming. The pastor is coming whenever I went to a ward to fix their computers. And more often than not, when I finished, they would say, did you fix it or was it a miracle? That got a little bit on the nose when... It began happening as I entered a room, and Kemri will testify to this, as I entered the room and the machines would start working. I don't know why. And I would say to them, what did you do? And, and I would be like, no. And then they would tell me, please don't leave because we need to do these scripts. I don't know what was happening. My boss did a review with me one day and he said, mate, everybody just loves having you around. What is it? And I said, well, I just go in there. I do what I can. I try not to get in people's way. And if I can solve the problems for them, I will. But other than that, I just try to be a friendly guy. I didn't say this. I probably should have. I found out later he was a Christian. But I wanted to go with the Spirit leading me. I know I was working on computers, but it didn't matter. They knew I was a pastor. And I had a burden to share that pastoral ministry with them in that space. Every morning while I worked there, I went down to the cafe called Jacob's Well. And there is a mural there of this passage. A man standing over the well, across from a woman. And she's offering him a bowl of water. Every morning I looked at that and I was compelled that Christ could go before me and in that same way go forward into the spaces that I was going. And what was it that Jesus said to the Samaritan woman? He convicted her with a word of knowledge. But then he told her, believe this, a new day is coming and in fact it's already here. When the importance will not be placed on the time and place of worship, but on the truthful hearts of worshippers. You worship what you don't know. There it is again. While we, the Jews, worship what we do know. For God's salvation is coming through the Jews. The Father is spirit. And He is seeking followers whose worship is sourced 
in truth and deeply spiritual as well. That's the kind of worship we need. We need to know what we worship. We need to know that it doesn't matter if we've got that lovely style, the technique, so long as we're scoring those baskets, scoring those points for Jesus. So friends, I encourage you, let this be a house of worship, but also let your heart be a house of worship for our Lord. Let us conclude there and pray. Father, I thank you that you continue to lead us and guide us. And that these messages from so long ago are yet so relevant today. We ask your forgiveness for those moments in which we have neglected to worship you fully in heart and in spirit. But Father, we ask that you convict our hearts. And that we may learn to worship you in everything we do. In those moments where we are in worry. In those moments of joy. When we are doing our mundane, everyday chores. To those times when we recognize we need to stop and praise your name. Father, may we be a people of worship, we pray in your son's name. As David said, from generation to generation. Amen.